Today on the Pro-Life Podcast, is Wendy Davis gonna go to jail? And the FDA says prenatal screenings may be wrong 85% of the time. We have to talk about this. Let's get started. But with us today, real quickly, my friends, Kim Jackson's joining us today. Good to have you back, brother. Veronica, we hung out all weekend, partying in San Antonio. I'm Brent. So, yeah, this FDA thing. Jackson, tell us about it. <laughs> so, <laughs> no pressure. Uh, the FDA has finally admitted that these prenatal tests, these non-invasive prenatal tests can be inaccurate up to 85% of the time. It's new news to them, but it's not new news to people who've been watching. All the way back in 2014, there was an article um, that, that sort of highlighted uh, this great tragedy because many pregnant mothers are choosing to abort their children based off, the, off of these non-invasive, non-invasive prenatal tests. And now the FDA has finally come around and said, yes, that could be the case. And that, that means, they're wrong, that they're incorrect diagnoses. Correct. And so now that means there could be thousands and thousands of thousands of prenatal um, human beings, preborn children, who are being killed even though their pregnant mothers theoretically would not have aborted them had they had known the truth about the actual preborn child's condition. Wow. Yeah. And so these they, are the tests, these are the tests where blood is drawn from the mother and they test for um, like different disabilities, potential disabilities, or other conditions for the preborn child. Is that correct? Yeah. So, and what, what's happening is a test for different risk factors associated with um, potential genetic conditions of the preborn child. And what they're finding out is that there's a false positive rate up until 85, up to 85%. So oh that means 85% of the time, the child's testing positive for a potential condition that um, diagnosis is incorrect. Yeah. So let's just doing the math. So 15% right, 85% wrong. And it's not supposed to, it's not supposed to be a diagnostic tool. It's supposed to be just a a test to see um, or to determine different risk factors. But people are using it as a diagnostic test. Yeah. I remember uh, when I was pregnant, I was offered these tests and thankfully I have an amazing pro-life doctor. So um, we've had there was even no need for us to have really at length conversations about like what if it was positive because she knew that I would never consider abortion and then even if I had she would have probably tried very hard to urge me not to Um, but one time we did talk about uh, just for a few minutes about what what would it be like if someone else came in and got a positive test and she was like oh well we would what we would do next is do another series of tests to confirm because really this twet this test the quad test they call it it's just like a initial screening to look for risks of genetic anomalies and then they would narrow it down and do another test to confirm so there's a lot to talk about here they, they could mm. be they're using this initial screening to make a life or death decision for their child they're not going necessarily getting the and 
the subsequent test in order to confirm the issue. And then there's the whole quality of life judgment. Like, why why abort this child in the first place? Like, why? Yes. That's terrible. And then a pro-choice person might say, oh, it's so tragic that these tests are inaccurate and that people are making this decision because their baby could have been healthy in the first place. And I'm like, how about it's tragic to abort? anyone at all it's whether just, they're sick or healthy right the children are dying that's the real stake in this situation but even if the tests were right a hundred percent of the time it would still be wrong to abort a child because like for any reason but especially because of the disability that is ob- absolute discrimination and what's really shocking is when you look at people who are abortion advocates they often are advocates for people with disabilities once they're born, but before birth, it's like, oh no, we don't want that child to have a disability. We better kill them. They're better off dead. So Kim, you're our media and communications person here. And so you focus on messaging. Do you think it's smart for the pro-life movement to sort of highlight how inaccurate these tests can be, or should we focus on that pro-life message you just talked about? I think both. I think from a practical perspective for the people who are in the clinics and they're having these tests on their preborn children and they don't realize, number one, this this test is likely to be wrong. And number two, just like you said, Veronica, that even if this is just the initial test, even if it's correct or um, it indicates that it could be correct, that future tests are needed. So I think it's important for us to highlight that these screening tests are often wrong, like the FDA is saying. But the more important thing for us to do as like uh, as a pro-life movement, as a culture that values life, we need to affirm that children with disabilities are inherently valuable and that have the same moral worth as you and I. Yeah. Yeah. And instead offering alternatives uh, or even just resources, I was going to say offer good resources to parents whose unborn baby has been diagnosed with a disability. And I think it could be really, really good and useful to get these tests done because that way you can prepare. I've definitely heard some pro-lifers who... Uh, have advocated for just like not doing the tests at all. But I think that could be a mistake unless a parent just chooses, I'd rather not have the test. By all means, that's fine. But I think it'd be really, really useful and helpful to know ahead of time my child's going to have these sorts of special needs, physical or intellectual, mental disabilities. Um, and that way you can, pre- you can prepare. And there's so many good resources. So let's wow. talk about some of those. Able Speaks. Man, like our hearts just go out to that family. It's um, a nonprofit organization named after this little boy named Abel, A-B-E-L. Um, and whenever he was born, his family, before he was born, actually, before his bo- he was born, his family found out that he was going to have trisomy 18 and that that would cause him to pass away pretty soon after birth. But the what the mom says, and I always remember this, is instead of giving our child an abortion, we decided to give him a name. So mm-hmm. that helped them cope with this diagnosis, that helped them seek God in this really difficult time. They chose life, they honored his life for the few short days that he lived, and now they help other families who receive those other diagnoses because 
it is true that families who receive these diagnoses, especially if it's going to mean their baby's not going to live for a long time, I cannot imagine how heartbreaking right. that is. If you want to cry a river, I suggest you go listen to their testimony. Yeah, the, it's the, on our YouTube. Whether you want to cry a river or not, you should go listen to their it's testimony. It's true. <laughs> it's yes, but you will cry a river nonetheless. <laughs> yes, disclaimer. Just be ready. Um, so they've come to the Capitol um, uh, multiple times, and each and every time they leave the audience, the, the members of the legislature, and in and, and tears because their circumstance or situation, their story is so heartbreaking and beautiful at the same time. And they're so strong. They're uh, they're clearly extremely devout Christians, yeah. and they just talk about how God gave them the strength, the supernatural strength to get through all of this. And so what their mission now is to help parents whose children, unborn children, have specifically been diagnosed with a life-limiting diagnosis so that it, they know that it's extremely unlikely for their child to survive long past birth. So, so that's a beautiful, very effective ministry. Um, and then there's also what about what about the children who uh, don't have any sort of life limiting diagnosis? They just have a physical or an intellectual disability. It could be Down syndrome. It could be um, it could be that they're born with, um, you know, or in utero with a missing limb. I mean, yeah. these yeah. people have could have absolutely wonderful, beautiful lives and. This diagnosis is leading some people to choose abortion. So instead, what they can do, there's so many of these amazing resources. I mean, the government will help, but there's also really, really great nonprofits out there like Protect Texas Fragile Kids. Yep, we talked about them last week. They're amazing. They're amazing. Uh, There are uh, so many other orgs specific to helping children with Down syndrome. And then also, I I personally here at Houston, we're all in Houston right now, there's this absolutely amazing organization called Brookwood, um, where Mm -hmm. people with disabilities, whether physical or intellectual, can live and work there. And so what they do, they really focus on like, the the beauty of work and that that is a natural human desire that God gives us and so that and people want to feel valuable in the work that they do and that they yeah. create so that like work will work is something that you can give back to God and, and right it's and like not, sharing in the creation you know right not yeah. that like oh I've heard the argument like pe- the utilitarian argument like people with disabilities can't provide anything to society and that's just absolutely despicable but when you think of, when you completely reframe that to like People long to work. People yeah. long to mm-hmm. to do whatever God's mission is for them. Mm-hmm. That's what Brookwood just totally capitalizes on. And so they find out not what you can't do because maybe you're in a wheelchair or maybe you can't read or maybe whatever. No, they find out what can you do, and uh, and they find out what their this person's strengths are, and they find a job for them. And it's yeah. so cool. And I have so many stories because I, I love volunteering there. But one always stands out to me. So they have people of all varying levels and degrees of capabilities mm-hmm. um, and and lack of abilities. And so this one woman in particular had come in. She's a little bit elderly at this point, very depressed, had lived a life of basically just a shut-in because uh, she'd been on government resources for a long time and really didn't have any family left to take care of her. And so finally someone got her connected with Brookwood. She started living there, started getting really good health care. And then they um, they were trying to coax her out of her shell emotionally, so to speak. And she was like, I can't do anything. I don't want to do anything. And she was paraplegic, so she couldn't move very much at all. But they um, had this beautiful clay workshop where they make, like, Christmas ornaments, and they sell them to help support the 
the needs of this community. And so what um, they asked her if she could just um, let them use her arms to hang the ribbons on her arms so uh-huh. they could tie the Christmas ornaments and then and then put them on the tree. And that was her job. That was her job for That's awesome. years before she eventually passed away. And she was just so happy and smiling because that was her work. That yeah. was her work she was able That's to give cool. back. I was like, that is so sweet because they found, like, what is it that you can do for God? It sounds so simple. Yeah. But studies have consistently shown too that uh, people who aren't disabled consistently underrate the quality of life of people who are disabled. Because I think as society, we value intelligence, we value our brains and our, and our mental capacities. And so when, when someone is disabled, especially if they have a mental disability, we must think, well, they have to be suffering because who would want to live that way? Turns out, they love their lives. Yeah. They love living and they love what they can do. They're often happier than the average person rates their own life. So in these surveys, it's like, okay, on an average, like how happy are you? Maybe I'm a five, maybe I'm an eight, whatever. And people who have disabilities often, especially with Down syndrome, rate that they are very satisfied and happy with their lives. So it's just this projection of what I think your value is and when we get into that situation, you're gonna have a bad time. That's where yeah. bad things happen, like abortion. Mm-hmm. And they make the world a much better place. It's true. Their mere existence is a positive force in the world and we can't underestimate that. It's true. Yeah. Speaking of making the world a better place, uh, looks like Wendy Davis might go to jail. Oh my gosh, that transition. Let's go to break. <laughs> But before that, Stay some other... <laughs> it's it's a hot take that we'll have to explain later. Right. Okay, we'll, we'll come back to that in just a minute. Texas Right to Life is facing 14 lawsuits from Planned Parenthood and the abortion industry. They're suing us because we helped pass the Texas Heartbeat Act. And they're trying to scare us pro-lifers into backing down. Please join us in the fight against Planned Parenthood and donate to protect the Texas Heartbeat Act. You can fight for the unborn and build a pro-life Texas that values every human life. Go to texasrighttolife.com slash lawsuit to make your contribution. Every cent will help, and it's greatly appreciated. Social media companies are hiding pro-life content from you. Fight back against big tech. Text PRO-LIFE to 40237 for direct access to the best pro-life news. Since 2019, our web traffic has been down 90% because of big tech censorship. Stay ahead of the censors. When you text PRO-LIFE to 40237, you're in control, not some algorithm telling you what you can and cannot see. Join now, text PRO-LIFE to 40237. So welcome back. And yes, I set that up. We need to explain a little further. Wendy Davis has filed suit against the Texas Heartbeat Act. She crawled out of whatever hole she's been hiding in to file a lawsuit. There's there's some history with a certain Wendy Davis. She's our favorite person. That's a name I've not heard in a long time. Mm. Well, <laughs> yes. You you were in the Capitol I was. when she first uh, came to infamy. Can Who you explain some of that? Who is Wendy Davis? Okay. Uh, Wendy Davis uh, was a senator for a while in Texas. Praise God. Mm. She is no longer a senator. She had a brief stint, a tragic failure of a run for governor. And uh, she's had many failures in her life. Okay. She also failed to prevent 
the dismemberment, or excuse me, the uh, 20 week ban from passing in Texas. Uh, She failed in her run for governor. She she just was really stopped. And she failed running for Congress. She's a serial failure. (laughs) Oh. Well, this is hot take day yeah, on yeah, the Pro Life Podcast. Her life um, is valuable. Let's say she that. She is much. a child of God, and she's yeah. very, very and misguided. Both, <laughs> both are objectively true. Though. It's true. We pray for Wendy and hope that she can find the Lord. And but she cried. <sighs> yeah. So oh. yeah, she got super, super famous back in 2013 during the Texas legislative session. Uh, she uh, attempted to filibuster at the very end of the session to prevent the uh, 20-week ban. Um, well, didn't the from Obama administration make pain. some tweets about that or something? President oh, yeah. Tweeted, there's something special going on in Austin tonight. Yeah, yes. and then uh, the Satanists were like praising her on Twitter. And um, and then they came yeah. in person and decided yeah. to praise I her. Mean, and- there was some, actually, this was really quite funny. Co- the Korean like cartoon channels made memes and cartoons about it. And Weird. I was like, you don't know what you're talking about, but they are pretty funny. Yeah. And um, <laughs> I don't speak Korean. It was all acceptable. But it was how it was like it was an internationally big deal. Yes. And then and then she was wearing pink tennis shoes during the entire 13 oh, yeah, hour yeah. ordeal. She technically filibustered for 11 hours, but she stood for 13. It was a technicality. And um, at midnight, clock stroke midnight, the session ended. This was literally the last day of session. And uh, we were up for several hours after that trying to figure out, like, did she did she win or not? What actually happened? Like, did did these points of order against her uh, mean that the bill was going to pass or not? So it was a huge ordeal. Um, And so they called a second special session and we won. And Mm -hmm. thank God, the 20 we began. Yeah. But now she's back. But there's our backstory. Yep. So. She's she has filed another lawsuit against the Heartbeat Act. Um, but in doing so, made some comments that technically it could land her in jail. Could land her in jail. Maybe. Makes me weirdly happy. Is that bad? <laughs> I'm like, well, I Jackson, mean... tell us about it. I'll get there. I just want to. <laughs> I just want to make some brief comments about Wendy Davis, and I want to be as charitable as possible here. That's kind of you. Okay, but. Better than I've done. She seems to be very passionate about killing preborn children. And somehow she thinks that because she donates to pro abortion organizations, that any threat to them constitutes an affront to her. And she also is desperate for attention and relevance again. So I think this new stunt is arising out of a sense of um, insecurity of narcissism and a very strong passion for killing babies. Yeah, you're probably right. And it's tragic when you think about her real backstory. I mean, she's had at least one abortion before. She was in an abusive relationship that she got out of. But I remember you said the other day, Brent, that something was really interesting to me. Your origin story um, is when you choose to be a oh, hero yeah. or so, a villain. Yeah, really, and I was all, like, all villains and heroes kind of have similar origin stories. There's a tragedy that happens and the villain goes, I'm going to get even. Mm-hmm. And the hero goes, this ain't happening again on my watch. Yeah. And so she chose villain. Yeah. Yeah, she chose villain. She, she, uh, you can go watch on YouTube, like, the clips of her filibuster, a failed filibuster, uh, and about, like, all these sob stories of women who need to be able to kill their children so that they can achieve their dreams. And, uh, like, so she, like, she can become a lawyer and all this stuff. I was like, it's just awful. It's just awful. And, um... 
I can't, I don't even create, I don't know. You could say that because she was so genteel in her approach that maybe she's just a misguided soul, but I don't really think so. I think it's, I think she's coming back with a vengeance. And I want to point out the people who follow her, like the people who were in the Capitol that day, mm, more yes. than more than one day in a row, because there were multiple hearings, but especially on the very last day, like I was there working in the Capitol full time. I saw all of this myself and it was crazy. There were thousands of people recruited to come to the Capitol to stand in protest. And then, of course, thousands more pro-lifers came. And we color-coded ourselves for convenience. The pro-life crowd decided to wear blue. I don't really know how this happened, but I mean, hey. And then the pro-abortion crowd decided to wear orange. Well, so one day I got confused. I was in a hurry. I put on a blue dress and our bright orange purse, and I walked in. (laughs) And the state troopers pulling us and, like, checking our bags, he looked at me like... What are you uh, doing? What? And then I was like, I'm going to text her to laugh. And he's like, okay, okay. Cool. Well, she wore <laughs> orange, and that might be prophetic because... Or well, Veronica... <laughs> is it the new black? Or Veronica is just a big fan of the Auburn Tigers or Florida Gators no, or any no, other blue and orange team. Funny She's an Aggie. But no, the people... I meant to say, the people who follow her, all these cr- recruited protesters, so... Um, they were there's two rotundas in the Texas Capitol, an indoor one and an outdoor one, and they decided to take up residence. And some of them were literally performing seances on the floor, mm-hmm. like seated mm-hmm. around. It was freaking creepy. And then they started a chorus uh, saying "Hail Satan," and it was it was deafening. I mean, these are marble walls, and they were mm-hmm. screaming. And then. As if that wasn't enough, they started dipping feminine hygiene products in red paint and throwing them. This is this is our Texas capital, and the Senate prides itself on decorum and you know gentlemen and women of order. And like they were literally throwing fake bloody tampons. I was like, oh my god, class. <gasps> Are you sure they were <sighs> fake? Oh. I, well, stop. Oh. So Red anyway, paint. Red so paint. anyway, this oh. one woman a picture, and we're gonna show a pic. I, I was like, we have to show a picture, and we were planning this episode. There's this woman who um, we took um, pictures of. She was happy to let us take pictures of her. She's bald, has some crazy tattoos, but the main thing she went infamous for, viral in the pro life circles, is she's a poster handwritten that said, "Free abortion on demand, no apologies." And this was the sentiment. This was not like your average American pro-choice woman who wanted to protect her rights. Like these were Satanists performing seances, yelling "Hail Satan!" and uh, it was it was scary. It was scary. And and so we took a lot of time to pray. And during that time, and thank God there were pro-lifers there. They kind of like squeezed people out of the rotunda and took up their own residence and got a box with a microphone and started doing like praise reports and singing praise and worship. And I was like, okay, sing a little louder, please. Yeah. Like, oh, that's great. That's great. Great. For sure. So what's Wendy Davis up to now? Um, so now that we've had a lot of <laughs> fun of sharing yes. our discursive stories, we can actually start to digest the headline. And oh, yeah. Why is she going to yes. jail? <laughs> um, okay. So... Let's break it down. Um, and before Night Roe v. Wade, there was a pro-life law. There still is technically a pro-life law that bans abortion here in the state of Texas. And Roe v. Wade actually originated in Texas and targeted our law. But what the Supreme Court said is there's a quote-unquote fundamental constitutional right to abortion for the pregnant mother. And so it said the state cannot enforce that aspect of the law and similar laws across the country. But what the law also said is that it is illegal to furnish the means um, to an abortion. So this is not the aspect of the law that says you can't have an abortion or perform an abortion. It's a part of the law that says you can't assist 
and someone else's abortion. Well, the Supreme Court never addressed that law, and it's still sitting there, um, left unsettled so to this day. So it's still illegal to aid and abet. Um, uh, yeah, furnish the means is the technical language, yeah. and Pay technically for under abortion. well, technically under state law, you can say it's still illegal to obtain any abortion from fertilization or to perform any abortion from fertilization, but the state can't enforce it um, because, because Wade, they've yeah. been enjoined by the Supreme Court. But the Supreme Court has not enjoined the state from enforcing the furnishing the means aspect of that pre-row pro-life law. So the Supreme Court has not said that there is a constitutional right to pay for an abortion? Um, not explicitly, no. You have this dichotomy between the right itself, or in the case of abortion, the so-called right itself, and then the furnishing of that. And so you have that precedent, and the fact that we have laws on the books that, say, that still say that there is not a right to furnish the means of an abortion, to pay for an abortion, Wendy Davis has admitted to doing that in court. How did we get there? Do you think that she knew that this was going to be a problem? She when she goofed. when she sued the state over this. Well, I I think it's unlikely she'll end up in jail, despite what our oh. hot take headline says. <laughs> the point right. is that she could, though. Like the the greater point on a is that she could. Yeah, we see this. The greater point is that the pre Roe v Wade statutes, the laws before 1973 in Texas, have not been repealed. That is true. And so that's also involved in some of our cases in Travis County where the city of Austin, surprise, is using taxpayer dollars to fund the means of abortion and things like that. Uh, we're not going to pay for the abortion itself because they legally can't, but we'll pay for the groups that fund the logistics of your abortion, well, your travel and whatnot. And it also matters because the Supreme Court's about to rule on Dobbs mm -hmm. versus right. Jackson's Women Health um, organization. Um, and if the Supreme Court does reverse row in that case, suddenly we may have actionable pro-life laws across the country that can go into effect once again. And the states who don't, for instance, have trigger bans like we do in Texas will have another means to enforce an abortion ban throughout pregnancy. So it's very critical that people understand this legal theory because I don't really think it's a theory. I think it's fact. Yeah, definitely. So we're gonna get there. This all came to light because Wendy Davis, trying to be relevant, has filed the 22nd lawsuit against the Texas Heartbeat Act. She's trying to allege that uh, because the Texas Heartbeat Act prevents organizations like the Lilith Fund, and Wendy Davis is affiliated with the Lilith Fund. Which was named after a demon. Yeah. Let's just talk about Satanism all day. I mean, right. You, well, I could say you could Google the origins there. No, but, yeah. maybe just take our word for it. Yeah. Um, so Wendy Davis says that because the Texas Heartbeat Act prevents us from funding abortions after the child's heartbeat is detected, then that violates my right to abortion and all this stuff. And it's really grasping at straws. This is a really pathetic attempt to try to take down the Texas Heartbeat Act. And it might backfire because she had admitted to illegal activity. Well, specifically, her involvement is nonsense because no one's threatened to sue her under the Texas Heartbeat Act. Nope. She's not the actual abortion fund like Lilith Fund. 
she's just someone who donates the fund. She faces no threat of lawsuit. She's not said she's attempted an abortion under the Texas Heartbeat Act. She's not said she's obtained an abortion under the Texas Heartbeat Act. She says she's donated to an organization to whom others have either uh, passively and um, in one circumstance expressly said they have an intent to sue. So they're not threatening to sue you. So why is your yeah. involvement crucial? In fact, you sh your part of this case should be thrown out. Imagination. But I, I think it's just because she wants relevance and she wants attention in the media. Possibly. Shock. Shock. Also, I Wait, mean, they're, they're, they're desperately no. trying. They know that all the other uh, lawsuits against the Texas RB Act are about to fail. So maybe they're just trying one more last trick. Yeah. Well, so. Time's a ticking. It, it's Wendy Davis and three others. Um, all, the other three are Lilith Fund and two people who work there. So basically, three people with associations with the Lilith Fund and then Wendy Davis, who just donates to them, She's just are, are suing four different pro-life Texans. One of them is State Representative Briscoe Kane. Um, two others are private citizens who said they want to investigate um, the Lilith Fund and other abortion funds, but said they don't have an intention to sue. Someone else has threatened to sue. So this is the uh, abortion industry trying to find one last way to to take down the Texas Heartbeat Act because it is saving so many lives. Half of all preborn children every single day are saved here in Texas by the Texas Heartbeat Act. Yep. And this is their last ditch effort to hopefully on their part, strike it down. Definitely. But I think like the others before it, it's doomed to fail. Good. Yeah, I'm loving all these Wendy Davis failures. Awesome. Let's add one more to the list. Uh, so even if we don't get jail, we still have fail. Oh my gosh! Thank oh, you. That was I'm so crazy. I'll let myself out. <laughs> <laughs> How do we follow that, friend? That was quite the dad joke. <laughs> That's wow. On that note, I think we are going to call it a day, guys. Thanks. Uh, someone maybe <laughs> didn't. Didn't you say someone bought Twitter? Oh, oh yes. well, who? guess that, who? Not Wendy that Davis. That is a <laughs> <laughs> I'll stop control. Okay. Well, yes. To update from last week, we talked about a certain um, South African South African American um, making an offer to purchase one of the largest social networks and uh, big tech giants in the nation in the world. And uh, people kind of losing their minds about that. Turns out, as of very recently, uh, yeah, that's that looks like it's going to be a thing that happens. It's going to yeah. go through. Yeah, it has happened. Yeah, yeah. it's I mean, happened today. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So there's, Elon Musk I think there's still some details Twitter. and paperwork and lawyers and things. But yeah, Elon yeah. Musk is buying Twitter. Um, and I think for the first time in my life, I can say I am excited and interested in what happens in the future with Twitter. No, plural lifers that, might have a more even platform I, again. Camera this way. <laughs> Jackson has something to say. Uh, being optimistic about Twitter, no matter who owns it, is a fool's errand. So Brent's going to be disappointed Aww. in the end. You know, I think Elon's an upgrade over the leftists in San Francisco, but I mean, just look at Twitter. There's no saving that. Oh, yeah. it's a dumpster fire. Also, hey. we can't we can't rely on anyone's savior, right? Like That's Elon Musk's not going to save the pro life. We're still going to have a platform. We can't. I mean, I, I'm secretly hoping he'll become super pro life one day. I agree. But I mean, I'm we just can't rely happy. on that that there's some potential free speech returning. Oh, same. And yeah. that's what's important here. Yeah. Time will tell. But someone mentioned a minute ago, I forget who, 
said, what if he just lets it crash into the ground? <laughs> that was true. What yes. if he buys Twitter literally to let it die? Wouldn't that be Buy funny? It and delete it. Delete. Oops. He said he was going to do that for Facebook. That's he would funny. love to do that for Facebook. Just Wouldn't buy that just it and delete be it. so great? There'd be so it, much more freedom in the internet. It's, right? you know, people would be scrolling less and maybe going outside and talking to their friends or something in person. Who Weird. Knows? I don't know. Anyways. Great. Well, um, yeah, I think that's going to wrap it up for today. So thank you guys for watching. We will see you next Tuesday.